0: All right, let's bar heads. Heavenly Father, thank you once again for this privilege of gathering together as family to fellowship. In the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, what a privilege this is, Father. Thank you for the little things in our lives like the good weather we have today here in Massachusetts. Thank you for reminding us that it really is your creation and All things and all glory are yours alone. Father, we pray for those that are struggling. We pray for those that are sick, that can't be with us this morning, but earnestly desire to be here. We just pray that they understand that our spirits go out to them, that they are with us. They are still very much part of our family here and that we miss them. Your will be done, of course, but Father, we pray that you bring them back uh, as soon as possible so that we might fellowship with them and they with us, and that we might be strengthened each by one another's faith. Father, we pray also for those that are still lost in this world, that before it's too late, you humble them and you bring them to your Son. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your Son's work to make all of this even possible. We just pray for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit we do pray. Amen. <clears throat> Again, the deceitfulness of sin, I don't think this could possibly be overstated. The deceitfulness of sin, uh, it, can't, it cannot be overstated. Um, It's that important to our freedom, our deliverance uh, as believers. On Thursday, we began by pondering the various external influences associated with sin's deceitfulness, external influences. Uh, We've done a lot of introspection, but obviously since we gather together, since we collide with one, one another throughout the day, Uh, And we all have a flesh. Our fleshes spill over, if you would, into the lives of others. And so when we receive that spilling over, we have to put it in its right place. We have to understand it as uh, an influence uh, and that sin can influence us through deceitfulness, working in another person even. And if we're not careful, uh, we can be um, set astray. So again, we began by pondering these various external influences associated with sin's deceitfulness, particularly as they arise in and through the lives of others and how they affect us who receive said influences. And One of the strangest phenomenons, though very common, is that we give those held in social high esteem free pass. Let's call it a free pass because they're held in high esteem. We give them a special entree into our lives even. We might be very guarded normally, but because of the esteem that the world gives this person, our guard comes down. We're more apt to let them in. So let me ask you a question. If your all-time favorite actor or singer showed up at your doorstep tonight and asked to spend a little time with you, would you invite them into your home? How would you treat them while present as opposed to, say, some ugly woman whose car broke down and ended up at your doorstep? Serious how would you treat them? In all fairness, you don't know either person any better than the other, correct? So what if they showed up together at the same time? Who would garner more of your attention? The famous person or the not so remarkable woman? So here's a point of concentration up here on the board. Personal favoritism. And I'm borrowing from James 2, one, of course. Why is our inclination to adopt world standards and meet its esteemed proponents at levels that they define for us? Why are we plagued with a desire to please those same people proportional to their social reputation even though they couldn't care less about our Lord. Let me say it again. Personal favoritism. Why is our inclination to adopt world standards and meet its esteemed proponents at levels that they define for us? Why are we plagued with a desire to please those same people? Proportional, of course, to their social reputation, even though they couldn't care less about our Lord. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? It's the craziest thing, isn't it? I mean, if if a person, if if a known person who say, oh, I don't know, say you're still, uh, you know, 17-year-old kid, you're still living at home, you're mature enough, you know Christ, this kind of a thing, you know, whatever, you have a good relationship with your parents, and um, your neighbor shows up, and oh, last year he beat up your father, because he's a jerk, and then he shows up at your doorstep, and you, uh, what are you going to do? you Are going to let him in? hey, I need some help. Versus your other neighbor who's never been anything but peaceful and they come to your doorstep. Are you going to let this one in? Why do you let somebody who hates on Christ into your life? Why? Because the rest of the world esteems them? What gives them the entree? They hate Jesus Christ. They, could care, they couldn't care less about Him. Right? Why do we give people of social status that fill that that fit that bill, why do we give them entree into our lives? As if they don't hate on Jesus Christ. As if they don't blaspheme God the Holy Spirit. As if they don't, you fill in the blanks. You see the power of, of, of social reputation? Of social elitism? Of, let's just call it for what it is, idolatry. If our idol shows up, we don't care if they hate on Jesus Christ. We just want to be around them. Why is that the case? It's weird because we can't stand the person who beat up our father. But we can stand the person who beats up our Lord, who defames him. What is it? I mean what what is going on here? Holy scripture warns us of this very thing. Go to James 2:1. James 2:1. By by the way that fictitious example would never happen in my life cuz nobody can beat me up. <laughs> that would never be one of my kids. Just saying. the things we kid ourselves with. James 2.1. My brethren, do not hold your faith in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place and You say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? What's really interesting is what comes next in this amazing passage of Holy Scripture. And please don't miss the connective tissue here for there's a lot of it. Try to focus on the topic of our series, the deceitfulness of sin, and focus on how partiality... Partiality is a key indicator of our being deceived. Partiality is a key indicator of our being deceived. In the following passage, by the way, uh, a good work would be impartiality. Impartiality. That would be a good work. A bad work, an evil work, evil motive, partiality. A good work, impartiality. Remember, God is impartial. So let's read verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith if it has no works is dead being by itself is dead being by itself but someone may well say you have faith and i have works show me your faith without the works and i will show you my faith by my works you believe that god is one you do well the demons also believe and shudder but are you willing to recognize you foolish fellow that faith without works is useless. In other words, if you say you have faith, and then you show this personal favoritism, you show partiality like I described in our own lives, if your favorite actor or singer showed up, all of a sudden you drop everything. You drop the faith. And you say, I'm going to celebrate someone who cannot even stand my Lord, potentially. I'm going to drop everything, my integrity, towards him, so I can celebrate an idol of mine. Well, that faith you say you have is dead. Because those are the moments when we're supposed to exercise the faith we proclaim to have, right? Remember how I taught you years ago. Faith has to be tested for it to be consummated. Faith has to be tested. It's one of the nuances of true faith. It has to be put to the test for it to be cemented In our souls so that we can know that it's real but if every time you get tested you fail what does that say about your faith that's what james is saying if every time you get tested your faith gets tested and you fail what does that say about your faith it's dead it's lying on the ground you just talk a big game you prop it up like uh weekend at bernie's right you got the little strings look at my faith it's so amazing but it's dead. That's all James is saying. He's just putting forth a principle. Now, granted, in context, James is speaking about salvation proper. But as you've learned over the years, salvation and deliverance, it's the same pattern. It's always the same pattern. Principle is a principle in the Word of God. So if we apply the main principle to our own lives, we must ask this question up here on the board. Is our faith genuine? Because our faith gets tested, and that's a very good thing. Because even if we fail, at least we know, guess what? Our faith is no good. But if we pass, we get that consummation effect. We get it cemented, we get assured of it. Is our faith genuine? According to Holy Scripture, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. James 2.17 Even believers can apply this test to their faith. For example, if you say you're impartial, a.k.a. you sow good works, that would be good, If you're impartial, then why do you treat others with personal favoritism? James 2.1. Revealing evil motives? James 2.4. If you say you're impartial, you sow good works, in other words, then why do you treat others with personal favoritism? Revealing evil motives? Some of you It doesn't even have to go that far. It doesn't even have to be an idol. It just has to be a family member. That's the most common one that I see, is people, for whatever reason, uh, show unbelievable partiality towards family members. But Jesus Christ said, I came to divide the family like that. You see? I'm not afraid of of, of cleaving holy and unholy, uh, regenerate and unregenerate people just because of blood ties. I have no problem doing this, because some of them are going to end up in heaven and some are going to end up in hell. But yet, when it's blood, all of a sudden, our 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 faith is put to the test, and all of a sudden, all bets are off. It's the strangest thing. That's the biggest one that I see is family, partiality and family. Just look. It doesn't mean you don't have to, you know, you have to stop loving them as family members. It just means call them, what they, call them what it is. Say what it is. This is what they are. This is how it is in my life. But don't play games because that's not good works. That's not impartiality. That's acting with personal favoritism and therefore evil motives. Here's the corollary the Spirit gave us on Thursday up here on the board. If you esteem someone this way based on worldly standards... How much easier is it to grant them not only a place of honor at your dining room table, but a place at the altar of your soul? In other words, if you show someone partiality, you sort of give them a place, a place of intimacy, a place of honor, therefore. Is it really that big of a stretch to all of a sudden they have, since they're that much closer to you, they have that great, that much greater access to you, are they not able to influence you more? Next thing you know, some of their evil doctrines start seeping in because you've let your guard down. Now it's all, all of a sudden, you know, God doesn't mind that my kid is a homosexual. That it's no longer a sin because it's my kid, you see. You know what I'm getting at? No, it's still a, it's still a, a, a sin. But it's my kid, yeah? So I'm going to, you know, overlook it. No, you're not going to overlook it. Because God doesn't overlook it. Call it what it is. It's a sin. Why do we just, like, oppress the truth when it comes to people we care about? Including our idols. And for some of you, I'm assuming, your children are your idols. That happens a lot as well. But I'm digressing. The point is, when we let them this far, there's less of a chasm now. There's, a, there's less of a space. They're closer in terms of influence, even. All of a sudden, you start seeing things their way. Here's the key principle from last time to resituate us up here on the board. Remember, we do have a, a direction here. The world's take on religion... Never ever receive wisdom from the world as anything other than what it truly is, human and earthly. Even the most well-intentioned unbeliever has nothing to add to what is available to you in the Word of God, especially on the topic of true faith and religion. Why would you let anybody try to define or redefine what's actually in Holy Scripture? never ever receive wisdom from the world as anything other than what it truly is it's human and earthly and like i use i think i used the example on thursday look you know if 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 your doctor's an unbeliever but he went to medical school for eight years he has a certain wisdom about medicine okay grant him that but he has no entree just because he's a doctor doesn't mean he should be telling you about your faith Just because he has an M.D. next to his name doesn't mean he's brilliant in every aspect of life. Certainly not in the spiritual life. But yet I'd be willing to bet, if you had an M.D. and some homeless man who happened to be saved, you might give this guy more space because, you know, he's a doctor. And he's just smarter all around. No, I've taught you this. These people, most of them are educated morons. Really smart and good at what they do. Human earthly wisdom but literally dumb as a doornail when it comes to Jesus Christ. So why would we give them entree? Because the world esteems them. Even the most well-intentioned unbeliever has nothing to add to what is available to you in the Word of God, especially on the topic of true faith and religion. In other words, don't allow the world to tell you about your religion. Don't allow the world to tell you about your religion. That's like me walking into a cancer lab and telling the director of research that the reason they've not found a cure yet is because they haven't been doing it right. (laughs) After being laughed at, I'd likely be promptly escorted out of the lab. Fair enough? And rightly so. I mean, who am I? So, why are we in such agreement on something so worldly, but when it comes to our own spiritual health, due to personal favoritism and partiality, we allow others a place of intimacy? Why? Why? Why do I get laughed out of the lab But we don't laugh an unregenerate person out of our intimate places reserved for Christ. Why do do we do that? But we do it. Well, they're my best friend. I've known them for years. Or it's my kid, or it's my parent, it's my uncle, it's so-and-so. Why do we do it? We have no problem laughing me out of a cancer lab. But we won't laugh somebody else out of our life or at least the intimate parts of our life, when they have no bearing even whatsoever on things to do with true religion and true Christianity. It's amazing that we do that. Up here on the board, Colossians 2.18, in the uh, English Standard Version. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason, By his sensual mind, verse 22, according to human precepts and teachings, verse 23a. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. A lot of people call themselves Christians. I'm convinced that a good portion of them don't even know Christ. Christ's going to say what he said to the Pharisee: "Get away from me! I never knew you. You just had a you had a tattoo on your shoulder of a cross." That doesn't make you a Christian. You used all the right scripture. You had John 3.16 um, you know, as a bumper sticker on your car. That doesn't mean anything either. I don't know you. I don't know you. Let no one disqualify you. Be careful what you listen to. A lot of people that have an appearance of wisdom and promoting self-made Religion. A lot of the Christians I know, and I've met, their Christianity looks nothing like mine. It's amazing. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are you really telling me that you think that there's other ways to the Father that are not through Jesus Christ? This is what you're telling me, and then you say you're a Christian? No. No. Again, here's our opening principle up here on the board. The world's take on religion never ever receive wisdom from the world as anything other than what it truly is, human and earthly. Even the most well-intentioned unbeliever has nothing to add to what is available to you in the Word of God, especially on the topic of true faith and religion. Now, there's one area of religion that deserves a little attention now and then. And in contemporary Christianity, it's a big deal. It's often overlooked because it is often, or I should say universally accepted as, you know, making us all feel good. It seems like a benign part of ministry. Of course, I'm talking about music and ministry. For some reason, nobody wants to talk about propriety or piety in music when it comes to music ministry. I'm not talking about Led Zeppelin. I'm talking about the the precept of music worship, because that's what it is. Otherwise, it's not worship. It's emotionalism, music worship. So the question on the table is simple. What does the Bible have to say about music ministry? What is its purpose? And how are we instructed in Holy Scripture, concerning it? Holy Scripture. Notice our our, our previous point up here on the board. Don't ever accept someone else's definition of religion. And if music is part of your religion, in our case it actually is, we sing as unto the Lord, we definitely should not let somebody else tell us what real music ministry is as far as the Bible is concerned. Because it can get away from us. And when things get away from us, all of a sudden, things start to pervert. And people want their ears tickled. And people want more and more of that thing that makes them feel good. And all of a sudden, they start worshiping the wrong thing. They start, their affections start transferring from affection for the Lord, for worship for Him, to our affections, and now for the feelings we have. The emotions that are spun up. Ah, you see, now we're on to something. This is the problem in contemporary uh, music ministries. So, again, the question on the table is what does the Bible have to say? Anytime we have that kind of a contention or that kind of tension in Christianity, we have to go to the Bible. What does the Bible say? As I shared on Thursday, I was watching a video of multiple <coughs> pastors. Uh, who were interviewed regarding music ministry, and for the record, I'm addressing all of music in ministry and worship, not just how it is conducted in a church like ours. I mean, anytime someone says this is a, you know, a Christian worship song, that doesn't have to happen inside of a church building, for for example. Here's what the Word of God says. Go to Ephesians 5.15. Ephesians 5.15. So if we're going to do it, it's like any other journey into the Word of God. We're just trying to find the truth on the matter. Trying to figure out what's appropriate when it comes to music, worship. What does it look like? How is it explained? Ephesians 5.15. Therefore... Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That's an important point. What the will of the Lord is, including in music worship. What is the will of the Lord when it comes to music worship? What is the will of the Lord when it comes to music worship? Okay, verse 18, because there was some other problems back in the day. I've taught you this when I was teaching you about the filling of the Spirit. Do not get drunk with wine, because back in the day they would get drunk, have orgies, chant, carry on, music's involved, etc., and call it higher-order worshiping in the Spirit. Imagine today it would be like someone getting drunk, and listening to, you know, that, the, that Christian music that's, you know, just, it's basically a chant. You know what I'm saying? It's the same verse, like, over and over. There might be a couple of verses intertwined in there that talk something, you know, but for the most part, it's about the chorus. You know what I'm saying? Oh, oh and you're drunk and you start running around your apartment or whatever. Right? And you're like, oh, I feel Jesus. They did that. They literally did that stuff. Oh, and then they threw in sex, too. And then they called it a higher order of um, worship because they were intoxicated. So basically, mindfulness goes out the window because you're drunk now. And what is it all about? Emotionalism. Let's just have a big emotional orgy. And we'll call it higher order worship. And there'll be music and booze and drugs or whatever, you know. It makes you even feel even better, because the end result is you're worshiping your feelings, not the Lord. It's no longer about the Lord, it's about how good you can feel. And you wrap it in a wrapper called Christianity in worship. Hmm. Do not get drunk with wine. So this stuff happened back in the day. Granted, they didn't have uh, you know radio stations back then, which is another thing to think about, by the way. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks. You see, this is all like one sentence, by the way. One complete thought. So don't try to dissect anything out. You see how long this sentence is? It starts in verse 18 and doesn't even... I'm going to finish in verse 21. So you don't get to dissect things out and say, what is Paul writing about? He's saying, don't get all emotionally spun up and do all this crazy stuff while you're intoxicated and then call it worship. See? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So up here on the board, on that note, singing and making melody with your heart, spiritually speaking, music is worship. We must never forget this. As far as the Bible is concerned, what we have in the Bible, spiritually speaking, music is worship. While we worship in groups sometimes, worship ought never be any less personal. The Bible instructs us to sing with our heart to the Lord and to God. Those are our instructions. That's what music ministry looks like. That's what music worship looks like. We're to sing with our heart to the Lord, to God. Ephesians 5.19 Colossians 3.16. Worship must be directed to God, not our emotions. To God, not our emotions. That's a really important point because that's what the Bible tells us. There's a direction of our worship. Take music out of the picture just for a moment because music is just a subcategory. Any form of worship is always towards Him, correct? Correct. Music is a subcategory. It means it inherits its property. Oh, geez, Greg, that sounded like coding, didn't it? Greg's like, yeah, inheritance. It inherits its its properties, sorry, from its parent. And since music is a form of worship, then music must be also directed toward God. Because it's a form of worship. Not our emotions. Hmm. Let's go to this other passage. Go to uh, Colossians 3.15. Colossians 3.15. Colossians 3.15. You know why this church isn't, mag- isn't huge, right? Why we haven't filled up the entire two and a half acres with a building and a parking lot, right? It's because when people come here, they don't always feel good. Uh, they, don't get to s- they don't get to serve and worship their feelings. They get the unadulterated truth. And that smashes that whole false religion that they have. That includes bogus music ministry and bogus music worship. Colossians 3.15, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. And just as a side note, you, all, you should all remember when I was teaching about what the filling of the Spirit is, that these two passages, Ephesians 5 and Colossians uh, 3, there's a parallel there, um, that they're basically one, this is what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. And that's in contrast to dissipation, you see? Don't be dissipated, don't be intoxicated with your emotions, and don't have any helpers like booze or drugs to get you there, or sexual orgies. Don't be intoxicated with your emotions. This is about worship. This is about being filled with the Spirit. This isn't about heightening your emotions. True worship really is devoid of emotions. Emotions come after You see, the lust of the flesh puts it backwards. And then eventually what happens is the mindfulness, the truth, the Holy Scripture, it atrophies. Because now all of a sudden, it feels so good you just stay with the emotionalism, and then the truth just sort of shrinks away over time. Because you're not exercising it. You're not actually going, you're not actually worshiping God. You're worshiping your feelings. This is about the filling of the Spirit. Hmm. It's very interesting. You see, music worship is an element of being filled with the Spirit. But here's the thing. It happens properly according to God in company with all the other things listed in these passages. In other words, up here on the board, music ministry context like any form of worship if the individual isn't personally actively involved in worshiping the Lord they are not worshiping biblically i'm not talking about physical singing abilities rather personal engagement beyond one's emotions in other words if, excuse me if if you're worshiping and it's void of truth if it's really about if the direction of the worship is wrong If it's not to the Lord, but to your emotions or to your feelings, it's no good. That's the point. Like any form of worship, if the individual isn't personally actively involved in worshiping the Lord, they are not worshiping biblically. One of these pastors that I mentioned earlier made the point, the Bible says we ought to be singing, and yet most Christians nowadays prefer to be sung too. We just read that. There's an active role for us, right? In music worship. We're supposed to be singing. But most Christians I know would prefer to be sung too. Entertain me. This is about me. I'm God here. You entertain me. Oh, music minister. See? Here's the principle from Thursday's message up here on the board on worship worship. Worshipping the Lord in any fashion is not supposed to be a passive exercise. The Bible speaks about music as a form of active worship, not entertainment. Not entertainment. Again, worshipping the Lord in any fashion is not supposed to be a passive exercise. The Bible speaks about music as a form of active worship, not entertainment. Yet, how many people... Won't attend a church without a music ministry that excites their emotions. I told you on Thursday, I've had people, multiple people, in the course of this ministry, hey, what's the music ministry like there before they even show up? What's the music ministry like there? Oh, <coughs> well, I guess it's biblical. I mean, sometimes we sing, we've got leadership, and you know, whatever occurs to us. Uh, yeah, no. I'm looking for, you know, something a little bit more progressive. There's nowhere in the Bible that says you have to every week. That'd be nice, in my opinion. I kind of like it. But that's part of church ordinances, which the Bible is very sort of uh, soft on, how you run a church. There's a lot of sort of leeway there. Um... But there's nothing in the Bible that I can see that says every time you gather together, every time that pastor stands behind that pulpit, there's got to be music before and after. I don't see that. Is it nice? Sure, absolutely. Is it a form of worship? Absolutely. This is why when Scott said, the Spirit told him, I said, we just make sure we're going to be singing biblical hymns, biblical songs. Make sure that whatever you lead them in, it's going to be the way the Bible has it. Psalms and hymns, to bring glory to God. I'm not saying we didn't have that before. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying that's what is on my heart. I gave you uh, Pastor Jeff Pollard. He said it. This is fantastic. Many Christians are not worshiping God. They are worshiping how they feel about God. In other words, they're, they're worshiping their emotions. Their emotions become their little God. I know you know what I'm talking about. It's not about God, it's about how they feel about God. I just want somebody to uh, I just want to know that somebody loves me. Oh, God loves me. Jesus loves me. Okay, now I can feel good about myself. Who's that about? No, for real, that's a fair question. Who is that about? That has nothing to do with worshiping the holy, sovereign God of the universe. That's just one step again into emotionalism. That's all that is. But but, no, there's no but. There's no but. Emotionalism doesn't lead you to Christ. Truth does. Emotionalism isn't the baseline for worship. Truth is. That's why we must worship in the spirit and what? Truth. It doesn't say spirit and emotionalism. It says spirit and truth. That's what leads us. But to this guy's point, this is fantastic. Many Christians are not worshiping God. They are worshiping how they feel about God. Worship isn't an emotion. Some of you need to get that out of your head. Worship is not emotion. Therefore, music worship isn't an emotion. Are there emotions that spill out of us at times? Of course. But we are not religious, are we? In other words, what's the first priority of music ministry? Well, the world's Christianity Will tell you that it's to be emotionally roused. i want to get. I need to get jazzed up for pastor's message. Got to get jazzed up. Woo! It's Sunday morning. Let's get jazzed up. That's why I go to church. Get jazzed up. As soon as it stops making me feel good, I ain't going there anymore. I'm gonna find another one. Cause God knows there's a, there's probably some greater number than one to one ratio of false, garbage churches that have Christianity by their name than actually ones that are teaching the truth. So there's always availability, in other words. So the world's Christianity will tell you that it's to be emotionally roused. The Bible tells us it is a form of group worship, quote, to the Lord. That's what we are doing. It's a form of group worship to the Lord. It's directed to the Lord. And you don't have to be emotional at all. Some of you really don't get emotional. I watch you singing. Some of you are just like this. Hey, listen. If you're worshiping the Lord that way, great. If you happen to be getting excited and His tears come down your eyes, that's great too. There's nothing wrong with that as long as it's directed, worship is directed to Him. But those tears, they should be um, from gratitude. shouldn't be about worshiping your feelings or your emotions and you getting all spun up. That's no different than watching a Hallmark TV program. So the world's Christianity will tell you that it's to be emotionally aroused. Uh, the Bible tells us it is a form of group worship to the Lord. Again, what's the priority of the person who partakes in any form of worship? You know the answer. Why would music be perceived as any different? As a balanced statement, I'm not proposing that we all stop listening to our favorite radio station. Starts with a K. Although honestly, there's a lot of garbage that comes out of that radio station. How do I know? Because I've listened to it. So if you listen to that station, just take Jesus' advice. You don't have to take mine, take his. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you're worshiping, supposedly, in that moment. Be careful that you're not worshiping your emotions instead of the Lord. Just be careful. The point I'm making is simple, and this is to Pastor Pollard's point. Who and what are we worshiping when we partake in music ministry? If it's praising God, then that's wonderful. If it's just another emotional lever to amp up your feelings, then we need to separate from it. Remember, if it's not from God, then it's not good. If it's not from God, then it's not good. And do not, please do not, Just because someone says, I got this directly from the Spirit of God. Don't believe it. This song came to me from God. Why would you you take that at point blank? Well, let's see what you have to say. Let's see the lyrics of your so-called amazing godly song. Oh, it's just one chorus over and over again with a crescendo of music? Have you, ever, have you ever done, this is, a, this is a good experiment for you, just to prove to yourself how powerful music is on your emotions. Find on YouTube, I don't know, don't ask me where it is, but I've seen it. They've done uh, experiments where, you know, say it's like um, Star Wars or um, like, I don't know, some huge blockbuster movie, right? Uh, or like something like the Legends of the Falls where it's very emotional, right? They'll, they'll play you a skit. And you're like, I'm like a jazz. I'm like, woo, right? Then they play you the skit without the music. No music whatsoever. You walk away like, hmm. How could that possibly be? Because music does that. And Satan's really smart at deceiving you. So just because some so called Christian song or some so called flunky worldly artist became a Christian artist. And they have the ability to arouse you, your emotion, with well-orchestrated music. Does that mean it's from God? Nope. If it's all about you getting roused up emotionally so that you'll spend the 10 bucks on their album, something's wrong. You know, we got some hymnals here that are free. We can sing out of. You know what I'm getting at? Hmm. See, this is all part of it. Who and what are we worshiping? If it's praising God, great. If it's just another emotional lever to amp up your feelings, then we need to separate from it. If it's not from God, it's not good. Up here on the board, worship error. It's possible, even common, for Christians to forget or ignore what the Bible says about music worship. If it's merely an emotional pick-me-up, something vital is missing. Intoxication is dissipation, which is not being filled with the spirit. Can you be intoxicated with your emotions? I don't know. Ask a woman during PMS. Oh, that's not funny. Can you be intoxicated with your emotions? Yeah, of course you can. Does that become everything? Does that become the altar in your life all of a sudden when your emotions are at an all-time high? What are you serving at that point? Your emotions, why you act like maniacal, crazy people sometimes. I'm not just talking about women. I'm talking about anybody because I know men that are more womanly than women. When When you're in that emotional aroused state, you've lost your mind. You become emotional and all reason and rhyme goes out the window. You're not thinking straight. Because you're intoxicated with your own emotions. That's called dissipation. Because now no longer is God the Holy Spirit in control. Your emotions are. No longer is he the wind in your sails. Your emotions are. So let's just back up a little bit. If I'm satanic, right, and I want to insert some really false doctrines into your soul, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get a huge rock band. I'm gonna uh, Professionals that I'm going to pay very well, by the way. Uh, I'm going to get you riled all up. And then I'm going to go boom. You don't even know. It. I'm going to insert garbage doctrine into your soul. Because you're so intoxicated. Your guard is down. You think everything's great and ecstatic. And then boom, I'm going to hit you. Conversely, if I stand behind a pulpit, let's just say there's no music on that particular Sunday. And we're going along in truth, you know, worshiping by spirit or in spirit and truth. And all of a sudden I go, Whoop. your soul's going to go, no, no, sorry. I'm filled with the spirit right now. Not happening. Think about it. Intoxication is dissipation, which is not being filled with the Spirit. Based on what most honest pastors see in this world, including myself, many Christians are not worshiping God when they partake in the various forms of music worship. And it's because they are worshiping their feelings, not the Lord. There are all, well, Where I should ask, where are all the hymnals? In the churches these days. In these huge churches, where are all the hymnals? I'll tell you, they've been replaced by sheet music, given to them from the entertainer that stands on the big stage in front of them on Sundays. If they can even hear themselves over the blasting music, they find themselves chanting the same chorus over and over. So for all intents and purposes, they are intoxicated emotionally. For all intents and purposes, they are intoxicated emotionally. And that's how we become dissipated. Jesus wasn't in favor of this kind of repetitious worship, by the way, up here in the board, Matthew 6, 7. When you are praying, another form of worship, of course, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Do not use meaningless repetition. So before we get off this topic of music, here's the point up here on the board. The music worship example. If we're deceived and our feelings become our God, we live to serve them instead of our Lord. I can't say it any more succinctly than that. Because that's that's a plague in Christianity today. People go to church on Sunday morning. It's not about worshiping the Lord. It's about worshiping their feelings and serving their feelings. Oh, 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 I had such a tough week this week. Work was so hard. Working for myself, you know, for everything to do with me. Worshiping for, because, and through me. It's really hard. I'm tired. I need somebody to lift me up. Then they come to a church like this, they're like, this is harder than work. I I I need my emotions boosted here. I'm tired. If we're deceived and our feelings become our God, we live to serve them instead of our Lord. Music worship is a symptom of emotionalism. I'm talking about when it's perverted. Music worship is a symptom of emotionalism, which means we must discern all areas of our lives where emotionalism dominates relationships, family, work, etc. In other words, if you find yourself serving your emotions in music ministry, is it fair to say that if you can do it in one aspect of your life, you could do it in others? Is it fair to say that, wow, I didn't realize this before, but not just music am I looking to serve my feelings, but in my relationships. Uh, what else do I got up there? In my family relationship, in my work, this is all about me. This is all about serving me. I just want to feel good. I'm not worshiping the Lord, I'm worshiping me. Ta-da! See, so music is just a symptom. It's just another symptom. We've talked about all the others for the most part. Music is just one of the final ones he's bringing up. That people are in error when they worship because they're really worshiping their feelings rather than the Lord. And anytime something displaces the Lord, now you have another God to serve, and now you begin serving that God. I'll do whatever it takes to make myself Feel good. If that means turning on the radio and listening to uh, then I'll do it. Because, you know, I had a long day. It's 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock. I had a long day. I need, to, uh, I need somebody to pick me up. Because I exhausted myself already by serving myself. Some weird body language going on. If we're deceived and our feelings become our God, we live to serve them instead of our Lord. Sadly, this point goes out to all the emotional basket cases in contemporary Christianity. What is being sold as Christianity today is a lie. And so-called, quote, music ministries are often the main event. I'll say this. It's a lot easier to sell music than truth. If I'm going to get in the game of selling stuff, in the name of Christ, which is grotesque in itself. But if I'm going to get into that game of selling something, it's a a lot easier to sell music than it is truth. Music and emotionalism than truth. To sell worship of feelings rather than worship of God. It's a lot easier to sell the prior. Go to 2 Corinthians 2.17. 2 Corinthians 2.17 The of takers. People don't want to go to church to, to learn the word of God, to worship in spirit and truth. They want to keep worshiping their feelings. They want the church to, you know, emotionally fill them up because their emotions are their God. 2 Corinthians 2.17 For we are not like many, peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. We're not peddling the word of God. Are there people in this world that peddle the word of God? You bet. You bet. Again, it's a lot easier to sell music than truth, to sell worship of feelings rather than worship of God. Therefore, we have the following reality to deal with up here on the board. I gave you this on Thursday. Religion is big business. (coughs) Huge business. The kingdom of darkness promotes the whole scheme by selling religious formulas such as do this religion and be rewarded with happiness. Do this thing and you'll be happy. You might even make lots of money. I mean, there are whole, we call them the prosperity gospel. There are whole ministries that are so disgusting, but there are whole ministries with thousands of followers that follow the mantra that, you know, send in all your money to the church and you'll prosper on the back end. Well, you know what? Here's what I found. In 2016, this is in the United States alone. Religion is a $1.2 trillion business. Hey, that's a lot of money. $1.2 trillion. $418 billion from religious congregations, $303 billion from other religious institutions such as universities, charities, and health systems, $437 billion from faith-based, faith-related, or faith-inspired businesses. That would be where music ministry would fit if it wasn't stuffed into one of the other ones already. That's from the World Economic Forum. $1.2 trillion. That's unbelievably giant. That's the business of religion. Now, you have to ask yourself, there are a lot of parasites out there, aren't there? And like I said earlier, if you can just get somebody emotionally spun up, <clears throat> now send me money. You see? If I can get you emotionally spun up, I can lie to you and say, Oh, don't you feel good? Okay, send me some money. You want to feel even better? You like this momentum? You want to stay in this day? Yeah, send me money. And I'll just keep lying to you. You get to come to church and, you know, it's big business. We are living in an unholy economy that poses as true religious worship, but it's just another business. It's just another business. Think about it this way. In that $1.2 trillion figure exists false Christianity, case in point in our neighborhood, Roman Catholicism, uh, Islam, Hinduism, Orthodox Judaism, and every other false religion out there. Hey, doesn't that give Jesus, since there's only one way, there's a narrow road, but it's $1.2 trillion business market, doesn't that give Satan in the Kingdom of Darkness a lot of like finances to accomplish his end goals? Satan in the Kingdom of Darkness are having a field day. Why? Because religion is big business for Satan. Up here on the board, Christianity is nothing more than a lever, a tool that once perverted, can be used to advance the causes of Satan in the kingdom of darkness. So, what about us? Okay. What about us? Well, as we read on Thursday, Ephesians six eleven, put on the full armor of God, receive the word of God and plant it so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. My goodness. Give the devil, I don't know, the major portion of $1.2 trillion. Woo-wee. We're talking about like national budgets. You know, he's a pretty smart angel. He doing do an awful lot with that kind of money. Us? Go to uh, Romans 10.17. Romans 10.17. Put on the full armor of God. Receive the word of God implanted so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. <coughs> Otherwise, you will be deceived. He's going to sell you emotionalism. But what do we do? What's our defense? Put on the full armor of God. What is that? Romans 10, 17? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. There is no other option, my friends. If there was, I would teach it. But there isn't. You have to read your Bible. That's, is, that's literally as basic as it gets. You have to read your Bible. You have to put on the full armor of God. You have to put on the word of God. That is your defense mechanism. Up here on the board... Though we have to deal with this, celebrating and worshiping feelings, that seems to be the way of Christianity nowadays. Sin has lied to billions of people over the ages, proposing that as long as it feels good or right, it may be construed as such. In other words, feelings become doctrine. But I guess that makes sense because doctrine or the Word of God comes from God, capital G. But if feelings are your God, then you get your doctrines from it. You follow? Same pattern. You're meant to go this way, get the word of God from God, capital G. But if you've made feelings your God, then you get your doctrines from that same God. That's who you serve and worship, right? And if your feelings say it's right, then you know what? It must be right. That's the average Christian, as I see it. Man, it's quiet in here. What Seriously, what's going on? This isn't news to any of you, is it? Is it just striking? I mean, is it news? Someone you're thinking about? I don't know. But sin has lied to a lot of people proposing that as long as it feels good or right, it may be construed as such. On the flip side is truth, which makes enemies. Quote, So I have become your enemy by telling you the truth? Galatians 4.16. Maybe that's what's happening. Maybe it's true. Maybe... You know what? Some of you probably still hold a little animosity towards yours truly for calling out music ministries, for even mentioning your favorite radio station. Some of you are probably like, how dare you call out K-Love? How dare you put that favorite radio? It's the only one I have. I have five presets on my stereo in my car, and they're all set to K-Love. When I'm feeling emotional, I hit number one. When I'm feeling super emotional, I hit number three. When I'm feeling down, I hit number five. Magically, magically, by the grace of God, I end up at the same station. Jesus loves me. Who are you worshiping? Look it. I'm not saying don't go. Now as he said, saying he's gonna delete my presets. What do you want me to do? Listen to Led Zeppelin and Van Halen? What are my options? Hey, that's between you and the Lord. If you can manage to deal with the garbage that comes through that same radio station, then fine. You can't walk outside without dealing with garbage. Everybody in here is imperfect. You could be over there trying to get a deviled egg in this garbage being thrown at you from some moron that's stumbling and talking about one of their idols and asking you to jump in and and worship them. I, I realize that. It's not about Caleb. This is about you. It's about you being deceived. It's about you understanding all the pitfalls and the dangers out there, including on your favorite radio station. Do not be deceived. Wake up. Do not be disqualified. No matter what we do, we are in this world, Right? We're not of it, but we're in it. You're going to go to work? There's going to be a bunch of morons. Some of them are going to be Christians. Oh, my God, as I, as I wrote in my blog. They will compete with you. I'm so happy. You're less happy than me. I must have more faith. No, you're just on some emotional high from yesterday's uh, music concert that you called Church. blew my hip out right there. (laughs) This is getting tough. I know that. I know that some of you probably, you know, you won't admit it now that I've mentioned it. But some of you probably have a little animosity. That's fine. Whatever. Have I become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth? Whatever. You know what, though? For years, your flesh... For some of you who have those feelings, for years your flesh was able to fly under the radar, worshiping and serving your feelings rather than God. I'm just a messenger like Paul, trying to save you guaranteed heartache if you continue in your fleshly ways. Paul wrote up here in the board, 2 Corinthians 2.11, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. It implies biblical knowledge and wisdom. That's all I'm trying to represent. So that no advantage be taken of you. Because he's everywhere. He's trying in every device. He calls himself. He has no scruples. He has no problem. His agents, you know, remember they're, they're uh, angels of light. They, they're messengers of light. They disguise themselves as light. Hello? Radio station? Positive, encouraging. What do you think he's going to use if he can? You think every person that works at that radio station, every flunky world musician that became a Christian musician somehow didn't make their way onto that channel? And somehow, some way they're gonna start inserting false doctrines into your soul? You don't think the, the the Christian way of life now, you know, do Christianity and you'll be happy? Do Christianity and you'll be happy. You tell me that's not on that radio station? You bet you're bottom dollar it is, am I saying throw the whole thing out? Well, that's up between you and the Lord. If you can manage it, so be it. It is better than 94HJY, I suppose. I suppose. Because what, what do you give an entree to? A counterfeit? What are you more likely to give an entree to? Those are questions you have to ask, serious questions. But we are not ignorant of his schemes. What this means under satanic religious practices? In my latest blog, I call it the treadmill of happiness. Some of you are still on it, trying to prove yourselves happy, trying to do all these things. See how spiritual I am? See how happy I am? I'm chasing happiness, but I got to actually, you know, um, sacrifice happiness to chase happiness. What? What? What did you just say? I'm exhausted. I'm not happy because I'm trying to be, you know, I'm trying to get happy. That sounds foul. And it is. Sounds like a works program. Sounds like religion. It is. Do Christianity and be happy. And let me encourage you along the way to do Christianity and be happy. Yeah. Treadmill. What this means is that if you're suffering or saddened by the general state of the depravity of man, the world will tell you you must be doing religion wrong. What if you do Christianity and you're like, hey, where's my happiness? Oh, you must be doing it wrong. Let me encourage you to do better. Okay, okay. Sorry, 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 sorry. La, 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 la. Let me try doing religion again. Hey, what's going on? Thank God, God the Holy Spirit has got his clutches on you and says, no, 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 throw that out. I'm, I'm going to use that bald guy to help you throw it out. He's going to encourage you the way Jesus wants to encourage you. You must be doing religion wrong. If you're not happy, if you're suffering or saddened by the general state of depravity of man, That's an errant doctrine. You know, Job's friends tried to convince him of that stuff, too. So this is an ancient tactic used by the kingdom of darkness. The Bible clearly tells us just the opposite is true up here in the board. We're to follow our prototype. We're called Christians, right? Christian? Christ? Jesus Christ is called a man of sorrows, acquainted, acquainted with grief. Isaiah 53, 3, part B. Living for Christ in the devil's world means being well acquainted with sorrow and suffering. Matthew 5, John 16, 33. I'll give you John 16, 33 up here on the board. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. Hmm. I want to show you something and I'm almost out of time here. Consider Jesus' words on the mountain. Given as encouragement to his disciples, also known as the Beatitudes. Go to Matthew 5, verse 1. Matthew 5, 1. Then I'll pick a spot. I really and true, honestly, I hope you all know exactly what the Spirit's trying to say to you this morning. Matthew 5, 1. This is about the deceitfulness of sin. Matthew five, one. What did Jesus have to say? You know, you know, the world will tell you you must be doing religion wrong if you're, you know, suffering, um, you're saddened, you're solemn about the depravity of mankind. You must be doing because why are you not happier? Why you not na la la why you not like those guys that come out of that giant church who are like woo woo And they have all the church that they paid overpaid for where the pastor gets all the money? And the books that he's selling in the past that gets all the money. And the devotionals that are being sold in the past that gets all the money. Or some of the ministers. You know, like the music ministry. That kind of stuff. Why are you not like them? Why are you not all happy? Hmm. What did Jesus say? Matthew 5.1 When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying... Do this and you'll be happy. Did he say that? Nope. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's the opposite of self-sufficiency. In other words, the humble. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Wait a minute. That doesn't sound like the Christian formula at all. Yeah, no kidding, right? Blessed are those who mourn. Those whose hearts break over the depravity of man, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Okay, you ready? This, I guess this is where I'll close. Do you see a pattern here? Do you? Just in that, that small passage, and I encourage you, keep reading it on your own. Do you see? It? Is it? Is it? Oh my God! You're going to be doing cartwheels with smiles and happiness now, or is it consistent with verbal plenary Scripture, which says you will suffer for Christ's sake, but receive His peace and comfort and be well? Um, the world lies and proposes that Christianity is the prior that treadmill of happiness, that preoccupation with being happy, lies to you. But the Bible says it's the latter. You will suffer. If you're doing it right, you will suffer. Because I'm not a liar, and I said if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. You will suffer. Your faith will be put to the test. But remember, that, that builds character. That builds faith. That builds confidence. It builds conviction. And it grants you Peace and contentment. And then on top of those things, you might enjoy happiness. But it's not the same happiness. It's not a happiness that is born of pursuit of happiness. It's something that's granted to you as a result of humility in Christ Jesus. So the warning, and I guess I'll end here, the warning up here on the board. And really, this is what he's been saying all week, Mark four twenty-four. And he's saying to them, take care what you listen to. Just please take care what you listen to. Just because it comes from a Christian ministry, be it music or otherwise, be careful what you listen to. That's why I tell you, I'm, I'm not some dishonest jerk. I tell you. Do not take my convictions as your own. Have I not said that a thousand times? Don't take my convictions as your own. I don't want you to live on borrowed convictions. I want you to get your convictions from here. I don't want you to get them from Love. I don't want you to get them from some ridiculous devotional that sits on the back of your toilet. I want you to get the truth from the Word of God. Faith comes from hearing. Hearing what? The Word of Christ. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for revealing to us the truth, the simple truth found in the Word of God. Thank you for truly encouraging us to read our Bibles, to grow in the grace and knowledge that is yours to give and yours alone. We just ask your blessings as we take the things we've learned out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen.